If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, you know, last time I was here, I always, when Brian asked me to preach the city and, and uh, Kirkwood location, it's always a bit of a surprise. My first question is, why? You know, why? And, but I think I've got his motivation all figured out because the last time I spoke here, I'm sure none of you who are here remember it, but it was on the, the uh, riveting top, topic of fasting. Yeah. Oh, some of you remember. Yeah. Yeah. That was a sign to me. I didn't choose that topic. Okay. So just think about that. Uh, one of our favorite things to do in all of life is to eat. And I get to think of something for 35 minutes to talk to you about not eating, okay? All, all of which you tentatively listened and then headed out for lunch afterwards. So it worked out pretty good. And so when Brian asked me a few months ago, he said, hey, will you, uh, will you preach at the city and Kirkwood location, uh, you know, here in a few months? And I thought, what do you want me to preach on? <laughs> he said, well, we're starting a new series called Killing What's Killing You. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. That, that might be good. I said, uh, and he said, I'll even let you choose one of two topics. I thought, maybe he's getting better at this. This is actually good. I can do this. I said, what are my two topics? He said, either lust or pride. <laughs> I said, the only person who's killing anybody is you. You're killing me, Smalls. It's like, <laughs> lust or pride? I said, no one wants to hear somebody preach on lust or pride. He said, don't worry about it. I've got you penciled in for Labor Day weekend. Nobody's going to be there anyway. So. <laughs> so usually when I'm here, it's a good sign. A, nobody wants to preach on the topic. That's why we got you doing it. Or B, it's a holiday. Or C, it's both of the above, which today <laughs> happens to be. So lucky for you. So nonetheless, I did tell him, I said, look, I, I'm not choosing the topic. You're going to have to choose. So today is part two of Killing What's Killing You, and we're going to talk about lust. Great. Lucky you, lucky me, huh? Here we go. Okay, I'm going to start by asking you a question, and uh, I'm not a big test guy, so I'm going to make this easy for you. It's going to be multiple choice, okay? I'll give you a multiple choice answer. And here's the question. It's not a trick question. Question is, is sugar bad for you? A, question, answer number one, yes, it's bad for you. Answer number two, no, it's not bad for you. You're out of your mind. Answer number three, how much sugar are we talking about? Okay, <laughs> so how many of you say, yes, it's bad for you? See, we've got a few nutritionists in the, you know, dietitians area. How many say, no, it's not bad for you? Okay, there's my peeps right there, okay? <laughs> Breakfast is, or uh, dessert's on me afterwards, guys, okay? Okay, how many of you say, how much sugar are we talking about? okay. I kind of figured that was the deal. So let's just talk about how much sugar is bad for you, okay? What if I said one cup a week? Is that too much? You think that's harmful for you? One cup, now think about this. A single can of Coke has 9.7 teaspoons of sugar. I know, that'll make you never want to drink Coca-Cola again. 9.7, so one cup a week, you think, that's not bad. What about two cups a week? That's a half pound of sugar. Now that sounds like a lot. You think, eh, maybe, maybe not. What about four cups of sugar a week? That's a pound every week. Well, let's up the ante just a little bit more. What about eight cups of sugar a week? 
That's two pounds of sugar. You think that's bad for I think most of us would say, if we're wolfing down two pounds of sugar every week, that's probably not gonna be good for us. Do you know that the average American eats, wait for it, 12 cups of sugar every week. Three pounds of sugar every week to the tune of 152 pounds of sugar a year. I don't even have that much room in my, in my pantry, in our pantry, in our kitchen. 152 pounds of sugar. Now listen, the leading cause of death in the United States is heart disease. Statistically speaking, one out of every four people who die this year in the U.S. are gonna die from heart disease. One of the leading causes of heart disease is poor diet. So is it any stretch of the imagination to say sugar can kill you? No, it's actually not that much of a stretch. If we're, like I said, if we're woofing down three pounds a week, which we are, it's no stretch to say sugar can actually kill us, which begs the question, why do we eat it that much? Why is it we do that? You don't have to, that's exactly right. Thank you very much. You don't have to have a PhD in psychology to figure out. We eat it because it tastes so dang good. And it's in everything we eat. It's so prevalent. So it's pleasurable and it's also prevalent. And so when someone says, well, that sugar, you know, it'll kill you, we think, it's not gonna kill us. You know, it may have some physiological effects that aren't really good, but you know, we got it under control. We can do it. It's not gonna kill us. No, it actually will. And in somewhat the same way, we can have that same mindset towards sin. So this series of this title is Killing What's Killing You. Now, it's easy for us to think, ah, it's not really killing us. Brian spoke last week on worry. Did a great job on that particular day. He gets all the easy ones, right? Worry, yes, we're, we're familiar with worry. Worry, I have one good friend of mine says, worry is the acceptable Christian sin, you know? Because everybody worries. I mean, every day we encounter worry, we, 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 we battle with worry, but it's not like, you know, we say, oh, I'm so familiar with it, I worry, you know, I'm a little bit anxious about this, about that. So we don't really think, you know, worry's gonna kill us. Same thing with lust. Now the thing about lust, worry is something we're, we're highly familiar with. Lust is something that's quite pleasurable. And because of its pleasure, we can think, well, yeah, I understand it's not good for you. And, you know, we want to avoid it, but it's not going to kill you, is it? Well, we need to have God's perspective on sin and specifically the sin of lust. First Peter 5, 8, we'll put it up here on the screen. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Now, right there, that ought to grab our attention to where we say, hey, I think he wants us to be careful here. Okay, be sober-minded, be watchful. And then he goes on to say, the devil, or excuse me, your adversary, the devil. Now, whether you believe it or not, you and I have an enemy in life. You may not believe in the devil. You may not have ever seen the devil. I've never seen him. But you know what? That doesn't render the fact that it's not true. We have an enemy, an adversary, and he's the devil. And he says, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to lick. That's not what it says. Seeking someone to devour. 
The Bible could have used countless animal metaphors to describe our enemy, but Peter chose a lion and not just any lion. He said, a roaring lion. Have you noticed recently where they keep lions? Behind thick bars or behind deep moats long ways away from the people who view them in the zoo. Why is that? It's because lions are carnivores and you and I, we're lunch. So they protect us from these lions because they are quite, quite dangerous. It's why you don't see lions at petting zoos. Have you noticed that? Hey kids, let's go to the petting zoo. I hear they got some lions. Nice, let's go pet the lions. They'll even, we can buy some food for a quarter and feed the lions. Let's go do that. No, you don't do that. Because they'll kill you. Our adversary is a roaring lion. And we do well to pay attention to that and to believe what God says about that. Now, Romans 6, 23, if you've grown up in church, maybe like I have, or you've been in church for a while, this is a very famous, it's famous, it's very uh, well-known verse, okay? Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now listen, folks, we need to get this down because Believing, one of the ways we kill sin is we believe what God says about the consequences of sin. If we believe what God says about the consequences of lust, that will be a deterrent to, to lust. For example, uh, those of you who have kids, and maybe your kids are grown like mine or like ours, but even when they were little, or if you've got little kids, one of the first things you tell your kids when, when they're able to, to you know, uh, have understanding conversations with you is keep your hands off the hot stove. It will burn you. Now, when kids get older and the stove is you know, turned off, they go, ooh, look at that red. Isn't that pretty? I want to tell you, no. And if, if they believe what you're saying about the consequences, they don't even have to experience it for themselves. They know, hey, this is bad. This is bad. The warning itself from you as a concerned parent, as a loving parent, is enough of a deterrent to keep them from touching the hot stove. And in the same way, if we believe what God says about the consequences of sin, the consequences of lust, that it will kill you, that ought to keep us away from it. It's a huge deterrent in regard to that. Another thing that the Lord tells us about sin is that he says that our enemy, the devil, he operates according to schemes. In James, he says, understand the schemes of the devil. Listen, the devil is not just some, uh, oh, I wonder what I'm gonna do today or, you know, hey, case sera, sera. Listen, he's out after you. He's got plans for you. He's got plans for you. And he's gonna tempt you at your weakest moment when you've had a fight with your wife or with your husband or, you know, or when you're discouraged about your job or the kids have got you, you know, all riled up or something like that, then the temptation for lust comes in at those times. Listen, he's got schemes and we need to understand the schemes of the devil. And the book of James, this New Testament book, very practical book, God lets us in on these schemes. We'll put this up here on the, on the screen for you. James 1, starting verse 12. He said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted. Let's just stop right there. It doesn't say if he is tempted. It says when he is tempted. You and I will never attain to some level of spiritual maturity to where we won't be tempted by lust anymore. And you may think, well, maybe when I get to be 60, it won't be so much of a temptation. Hey, listen, I'm 60, turned 61 this month, it's still a temptation. 70, 80, 90, it's all, it's, that temptation is gonna be with us till we breathe our last. Now, I'm sorry, I don't have better news for you. I mean, I do have better news, but that's, that's the bad news. It's always gonna, we don't reach some level of maturity where it's not a temptation, where it'll always be a temptation. But he goes on to say, he said, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for, not, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by whose desire? His own. The word desire here is actually means lust. So we're lured and enticed by our own lust. Now lust, the temptation of lust can come to us in, from many different sources. It can come to us from the world, the flesh, you know, from the devil himself. The temptation to lust has many sources, but the way it works within us and, and connects into, into, and we're gonna see here as, as, as James says, it gives birth, is that it, it's from within that temptation comes and, and then it connects with what's in us. He goes, then desire or lust when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Now, James is telling us two very important things here. Number one, he's telling us that, and this is what Brian talked about last week when he talked about anxiety and worry. The source of this is not external, but internal. Now, we've, we may find that hard to believe because it's, it's all around us. It's on the billboards, it's in the, the movie theaters, it's on our TV, it's on our computers, it, it's, it's everywhere. Now, listen, when I mention that, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not against TV, I'm not against computer, I'm not against the billboards, I'm not against those things. But I'm just saying, I, I, wanna, I wanna join with the Apostle Peter who says, hey, be sober-minded, be on the watch, be careful, it's everywhere. So it's out there all about, it's external, but the real enemy is from within. It's from within. And so if we, if we wanna do battle with the enemy, we start within. So for example, if you wanna do hand-to-hand -hand combat and you've got an enemy on hill A over here, to do hand-to-hand -hand combat, you're not gonna attack on hill B. There's no way over there. That's not gonna do you any good. So the battle is from within. And I say that because we can get caught up in the external things. Well, I shouldn't be watching this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing it. I need to make sure I don't do this. I go here. I don't go here, blah, blah. And all of a sudden now we got all these things. And all that does is it produces legalism. And all legalism is gonna do is gonna make you discouraged and guilty towards your own behavior and judgmental towards the behavior of others. That's what legalism produces. When temptation comes to us, it comes from all these sources, and yet it unites within our hearts. So it's a look, it's a, I'll say this, it's when your lingering eyes 
What you see with your lingering eyes, use the word lingering, is joined with the imagination of your mind. When those two things happen, lust conceives. Jesus was tempted. Book of Hebrews says he was tempted in all ways just, just as we are. He was tempted with it. But there's definite ways of overcoming this. And one of the ways we overcome this is to recognize and understand and believe what God says about the consequences of sin, that it will kill you. Second thing that James is telling us is that sin, this is really interesting, I think, is that sin is progressive in nature. Look at the language in verse 15. He says, then desire, lust, when it is conceived, it gives birth and then to sin, and then when it is fully grown. So you've got conception, birth, and growth. Now, what's that mean? Well, it means sin is progressive in nature. It doesn't, when, when we engage in sin, and we're talking about lust this morning, so when we engage in lust, it's not like, if you look at porn, you're going to die the next day or you're going to die. You're not, you're not, you may. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I hope, I hope not. <laughs> we got a lot of funerals we're going to be doing around here, you know, and I hope not. <clears throat> listen, guys, listen, when you, when you, when we engage in porn, you don't die, me, but there's a death process that begins to take place over a period of time. And it's slow and it's gradual to the point that we don't even know it. Let me give you an example. I'm not really what you call a working man. I've got a job and stuff, but I don't have calluses on my hands because I don't work with tools. Uh, if you see me with a hammer or a screwdriver, you better run because something's going to get broke. You know, even though I'm saying I'm trying to fix it and it's, it's, something's going to get broke. So, um, but people who do work with tools or in the construction business say, their hands over a period of time, they get, they're calloused because of the repeated consistent use of an exposure to tools or materials, concrete, whatever it is. And so they have these calluses on their hands, we'll say. And these calluses, all they are, are they are a buildup of dead cells. So as a re result of their repeated use and exposure to these things, these materials, these tools, there's a deadness that sets in on their hands. And as a result of that deadness on their hand, they actually lose a degree of sensitivity when it comes to touch. They're not as sensitive to things because of the calluses. And in the same way, spiritually, when we give ourselves to lust or to sin, consistently, over a period of time, our heart begins to get calloused and we lose sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God within us to the point that we're not convicted of sin anymore. That's why in the book of Hebrews, one of the things that God says over and over and over again, probably more than anything else in the book of Hebrews is, when you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Now, we don't tend to think this way, but one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. Praise God for conviction of sin. We, we should, I, I mean, it's not a pleasant experience 
when we're convicted of sin. But listen, we ought to, we ought to, we ought to stand up and shout, say, hallelujah, because it's a sure sign that our heart hasn't gotten, become so callous that we're not, that we've lost all sensitivity to the spirit of God. I'm so grateful for that. When was the last time you were convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit? Maybe it was something you watched on TV. Maybe it was something you saw on your computer, on your phone. And God said, hey, what are you doing? I've got better things for you. 10 years ago, we would have never thought of that. But now it's just commonplace. That's a bad sign because it's a sign that our heart has gotten calloused. Listen, make no mistake about it. Lust will kill you. And it'll be gradual and you won't even feel it, but it will kill you to the point that you become insensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Husband and wife, they don't just wake up one day and say, hey, today's a good day to have an affair. That's not what happens. Usually what happens is they've been, if they do have an affair and engage in that, they have thought about it for weeks and months and fantasized about it maybe for years. To the point that they end up having the affair. And it all started years ago with an unresolved conflict about the proper way to squeeze the toothpaste tube. Now we laugh about that, and rightly so, but that, that's, that's true. Because that's how things get happen. Unresolved conflict here, a little conflict here, builds and builds and builds and builds and builds till it is death over here. Remember years ago, there was a 60-minute story about an FBI agent who sold secrets to the Russians, national security secrets to the Russians. And the uh, 60 Minutes correspondent asked him him a really good question. He said, did you just wake up one morning and said, hey, I think I'll sell secrets to the Russians? He said, well, no, not hardly. But when it got to that point, it seemed like that was the inevitable thing to do. So then he told his story. It was intriguing. Early on in his career, at some point along the way, maybe not early on, but at some point along the way, I think he and his family lived in the South, doesn't really matter. But they said, look, we're going to move you to the East Coast. Well, he didn't really want to move to the East Coast. And his, his kids and wife didn't want to move to the East Coast. But they moved to the East Coast because he wanted to maintain his job. So he moves to the East Coast. And as a result of that decision, he felt like he was told to do and he had to do. He got angry with his superior. And he gave way to bitterness. And he gave way to resentment. And now every time he was given an assignment, he complained about it and he griped about it to the point that after so many months and actually years, it was like, I'll show them. And he ended up selling secrets to the Russians. All because it started, he didn't want to move where they wanted him to move. 
And now he's spending the rest of his life in jail for treason. Now we hear that, we think, man, I would never do that. Really? What starts as a look or a glance here can go and spiral to something that's out of control. And one of the biggest lies we face is, I can handle this. I can handle this. That roaring lion, it's not bad. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. You're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm out of my mind if I think that. Listen, guys, we need to believe God. The consequences of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. The other thing is that we need to, it's helpful, the other way we can kill lust is by believing that God always has our best. Now, when things are going good, that's fairly easy to do. But when things are not good, that's when it's sometimes difficult. We don't always believe God has our best because we think we know what's best. And what we think we know is best is not happening. And so we can lose sight of the fact that God knows what's best. And if we believe that God has what's best for us, we won't give ourselves to the things that he says, don't do this. Don't touch this. Don't eat this fruit. But if we believe that God has our best, we won't eat the fruit. Let me give you a story. It's a familiar story once again in the Bible. I'm so grateful for these stories. I love stories. I'm a storyteller. So I identify with the stories in Scripture. They're very, very real. David and Bathsheba. I think it's, it's in 1 Samuel 11. And it starts out in this, in this story it says, at the time of year when kings went off to war, David goes up to his rooftop. Now that right there ought to say, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? You're a king. You're supposed to be out in the, on the battle. What are you doing up on your rooftop? And so I don't know what he's doing up there. So he's looking out over things and he sees this woman on this other rooftop taking a bath. Now, I don't know if that's where girls took baths in those days or what. I, the whole thing's kind of weird and I don't, you know, he did People get hung up on, well, why is this? Or why is it? Listen, just, just don't worry about it, okay? He's up on a roof. He sees a naked girl taking a bath. This is not good. This is not good. That's all you need to know. It's not good. Now, at this point in time, David has, a, has an option. There's a way of escape here. And the way of escape is get your butt off the roof, okay? Stop looking, and 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Don't ever say, well, no one else knows what I'm going through. No, that's not true. There's a whole bunch of people know exactly what you're going through. In fact, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way. I'm so grateful for that because he can identify. It's like, you know, Jesus says, hey, take my yoke upon you. Well, you don't really understand what I've been through. You know, come on. No, he gets it all because he was tempted in the same way. So, and then it goes on to say, he's tempted in the same way, but he provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure. In every temptation, there's a way of escape. Let me say it again. In every temptation, there is a way of escape. There is a way of escape. Hallelujah. Turn your phone off. Put your 
iPad down, turn the TV off, change the channel. Don't look at that gal. Don't look at that guy. Go for a walk, do something. Take the way of escape. It's there. We need to be escape artists when it comes to lust. And the way you get to be good at escaping is you practice. Houdini didn't just get to be a great escape artist just by doing it. He practiced. Practice. Practice escaping. So David, so here's this thing. So he, he lust was conceived, literally, ends up having an affair with this gal Bathsheba. And so she sends word to him, hey, I'm pregnant. Oh, great. So now he's the king. So he takes care of the problem. So he has her husband who's in the military killed, puts him on the front line, has him killed. Now he can take her for himself. Baby's born, out of sight, out of mind. Listen, the scripture is very clear. There are no secrets. What's done in secret is shouted from the rooftop. There are no secrets. So God sends his guy on the job named Nathan, a prophet, to David. He says, I want you to go talk to David and here's what you say to him because here's what he's done. So Nathan tells him this little story, won't go through it all, but he says, look, God knows exactly what you did. And he basically says this to David. He said, look, if you would have needed Bathsheba, God would have given her to you because he always has your best, but you didn't need her so therefore he didn't give her to you. So why did you take her for yourself and have his, her husband murdered? What started out as a little glance ended up in an affair that ended up in murder and ended up in the death of this child. Just one little glance. This stuff, listen guys, when I say guys, I mean, I'm, I mean everybody, okay? Folks, this stuff will kill you. It will kill you. We need to believe that God always, always has our best. One of the reasons that's true is because, why we need to believe this is because when you believe someone has your best, you grow to trust them. The more you believe they have your best, the more you trust them. And the more you trust them, the more you love them. And the only way to, re to replace a lust or a desire that's out of control here is to replace it with a superior desire. Okay? That's how you, get, you fight lust. You don't fight it by, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Those, those are helpful things. I'm not saying they're not. They put... Uh, they put ratings on movies for a reason. That's one way of escape before you even watch the movie. I mean, Gail and I will go through Netflix and we say, okay, you know, we got a free night or something. What are we going to watch on TV? Uh, this one is MA. Okay, I know if it's MA, there's going to be naked people on there, so we're not watching that. That's an easy way of escape. They put the ratings right on there for you. Now, I don't want you to get into a bunch of legalism and all this, don't, don't do this. I just said, be smart. Watch the roaring lions coming right through the TV. Be careful. But if we believe God always has our best, 
We're going to trust him and we're going to love him all the more. And when you love, lust is one of the most self-serving sins there is. It's all about us, how it makes us feel, how it makes us, you know, these desires. And it's like, you know, it's just these endorphins are actually released in your body and it's pleasurable. But listen, we lose sight of the fact that God, God knows what's for our best and he always has our best all the time. And if we believe that, we won't engage in that because he says, no, it's not for your best. I remember one time Brian and I were having a talk years ago about something. It was a difficult talk and I didn't like how it was going. And I wasn't really responding with a very godly attitude. And Brian said, he kind of stopped the conversation. He says, Rick, do you believe I have your best? I just went, ah, oh, yeah, I do. I, that, that was the end. I knew exactly what I needed. I, I, I shut my defensiveness down. I said, look, I'm really sorry. Let's do this again. And I listened to him. All because I knew he loved me. I could trust him. Listen, guys, God, who would not withhold his own son for you and for me, how will he not much more give us, freely give us everything we need? Oh, what a wonderful promise. We can trust him. We can love him to the point that love for him supersedes our love for ourselves. And it says no to lust. I'll close real quick with this last story, once again, out of the book of Genesis. Story of Joseph. This is a guy, you think life is rough for you? His brothers sold him into slavery. Eleven brothers sold him into slavery. What constitutes a bad day for you? I mean, cry me a river, come on. And so he was purchased by this guy named Potiphar as a slave. Well, Potiphar recognized everything Joseph did, just, it just turned to gold. So he put him in charge of his whole household. So he says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Hallelujah, that's a problem I don't have. So after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's extremely intriguing. How can I sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, get this, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Listen, day after day, come lie with me. Come on, come on. In a New York minute, he could have done it like that and nobody would have known. But he said he loved God more than he loved himself. He said, how could I do this great sin against God? But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the, uh, the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. Sometimes the appropriate response is not to fight, but to flee. 
That doesn't make you a coward. That makes you smart. Run, 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 run. Flee. There's a roaring lion after you. You run. And you climb the tallest tree you can climb. (laughs) You just get out of dodge. You run. And that's what he did. And he didn't go back for his coat. He didn't go back for his coat. He got out of there. Do we really believe what God says about the consequences of sin? It leads to death. Do we really believe that God has our best? Those are the two greatest deterrents against lust. Let's trust God. Let's trust God. Let's stand. I'm gonna pray. Band will come up.